0: All right, grab your Bibles, open with me, if you will, to um, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 19, Matthew 1, 1 Kings 19. Last week we began a new series, and it starts right here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, if you'll just skip forward for me. The angel's coming down and he's talking to Joseph, and here's what he says, He's he says, you're going to have a child, and his name's going to be Jesus, because he's going to save the world from their sins. Uh, please get forward uh, to three verses for me, guys. He says, you're going to name his son uh, Jesus, um, but that's not all, because Jesus came for salvation. That was his primary purpose, but that wasn't his only purpose. Jesus came to change the deal for us. He came to change the situation where not, no longer do we have to live our lives through the lens of God is up there in heaven, and we're down here on earth trying to figure it out ourselves. But right here in verse 23, he says, She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Everybody say that with me, Emmanuel. It's one of the names of Jesus, one of the names of God. And, And carried in it is this promise that no longer is man down here by ourselves begging God to show up but He is here and He's never left us and He never will. God is with us. Last week we talked about how that it's easy to see God is with us in the good times, when everything's going your way, when everything is going wonderfully, it's easy to see. But what about in the valley? What about when things aren't going your way? What about in the valley of baca or the valley of weeping, the valley of sorrow, when you're facing troubles? What do we do? The Bible promises that even in the valley, God is with us. And if we can just find a place of worship, if we can just get into the presence of God, He will be with us, and a place that was meant to tear us down, to break us down in the, in the, in the dark places will actually become a place of strength, and, uh, and our worship come, has a way of lifting us up. Um, and so if, if you missed that message, make sure you uh, get on our, our website, and you can uh, find out about that. We're having a little trouble with the app, uh, getting it to update. I apologize, but we're, gonna, we're working on it. Uh, our, our, our team is working hard to get it updated. For some reason, it's not working right. Not sure. But you can get it off our website. You can also download it on the podcast. Today, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to stay in this same idea that, that God is with us. But I want to talk to you about uh, another piece of the puzzle. Not only is God with us in the valleys, but there are times in our life when we're not necessarily weeping and sorrowful, and yet we're going through situations where we desperately need God. We find Elijah in one of these moments. In in the book of 1 Kings, chapters 18 and 19, Elijah has had some huge victories. It's in chapter 18 that he was on the top of Mount Carmel, going up against 850 prophets, uh, 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Ashereth, And and he's he's going up against them and there's this incredible moment where they are cutting themselves and crying out to their gods that their gods would light the sacrifice on fire, but he never would. And then Elijah comes in and it's him against seemingly everyone else. Him against the world. And he soaks his uh, sacrifice down to the point that he they dug a ditch around the altar and the ditch was full of water from all of the water that they were dumping on the sacrifice. And he cried out to the gods in heaven and God sent fire down and lights this sacrifice on fire and proved to all of the nation of Israel one more time that the true and living God is Jehovah. And in that moment... He gets on a uh, a righteous tear, and he, uh, under the Spirit of God, kills all of the prophets that had come against him. Just kills them all. Well, King Ahab hears about this, and he goes back and he tells Jezebel. Jezebel gets a little upset, and she swears that she is going to kill Elijah. Elijah takes off running. And the Bible says, and we'll pick up in in, uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 3 through 5, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now watch this. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Everybody say wilderness. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Here's a guy who was just at the highest of the high. He was at the peak of his ministry. And all of a sudden now, he's out in the wilderness. He's all alone. And he is praying that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. I can't take any more. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. I want to talk to you on this subject today, God is with us even in the wilderness. I don't happen to be in a valley in my life, but I may happen to be in a wilderness. I I want to talk to you about what it's like in the wilderness. I want to talk to you about what we're looking for and what God wants to do when we're in the wilderness. He he heads out in the wilderness. He's, He's running. He's exhausted. He needs new direction. He'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle in his life. And then he finds himself on the top of the mountain, kills 850 prophets. God is shown to be the true and living God one more time. And yet, he's in a wilderness. I find this to be a pattern of God. He takes us to a mountaintop and before we get into a place where we're living in the promise that he had for us, there tends to be a wilderness in between. So for Elijah, he's on the mountaintop seeing the victory at Mount Carmel. But he doesn't immediately go and start enjoying that. No, he goes through the wilderness before God takes him to a place and reminds him that there are 7,000 other people just like him. That there are people that have been holding the line and living for God despite it all. And there's hope. And he, and he anoints a new king and sets the course for a new future. But between that new promise and the mountaintop, there was a wilderness. I said, it's a pattern to you. Let me give you this one. Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, he comes down, and John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. One of the things that I look forward to doing when we go to the Jordan River is, is getting baptized in the place that Jesus was baptized. And for all of you that go with us, I, I would love to have the opportunity to baptize you where Jesus was baptized. And, uh, and my pastor, my father, is going to baptize me, and it's ice cold. And, uh, and it's muddy, and it's dirty, and it's going to be fantastic. And Jesus comes down, down, and John the Baptist is baptizing. And then John says, you know, uh, you know I don't, I, who am I to baptize you, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, you have to baptize me for Scripture to be fulfilled. And so they go down the river, and Jesus gets in. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And when he comes up out of the water, in what must have been one of the most incredible moments, God speaks out of the heavens not just so that one person could hear, but everybody around heard. And he said, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." And the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests upon him. What a moment that must have been! Jesus goes from a high point. No one's trying to kill him right now. No, no one's threatened making threats against him. But your Father in heaven is speaking out and approving of him. What a moment! But before He could begin His ministry, before He saw the sick healed and the dead raised to life, before He walked on water, before He went to the cross and rose from the grave, before any of that happened, between the moment where Jesus has his, is baptized and has His Father approve of Him publicly, and between His ministry and all the miracles that we read about, and the world-changing things that happened on the cross, in the middle... The Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that he was tested. It was in the wilderness that he went through trials. It was in the wilderness that he went through difficult things, sometimes feeling all alone. But between his mountain and his ministry was a wilderness. Can I give you one more? The Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. They're in slavery. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, God sends plagues upon the people of of Egypt until finally Pharaoh says, Get out. Get out of the country. I don't want you here. And the Israelites are leaving Egypt. And, And as they're leaving Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind. The Israelites get to the banks of the Red Sea. They can't go any further and they look behind them and Pharaoh and all of his chariots, his best, uh, his, his, the best, strongest warriors are bearing down on them. And Pharaoh is intent on killing them or taking them back into slavery. And here they are in need of God to show up. And you know the story. Uh, Moses lifted his rod. The Red Sea parted. The Israelites walked across on dry land. And as the chariots of Pharaoh came back through, The Red Sea crashed back in, swallowing them up. And the Bible says that the bodies of the soldiers and their horses were washing up on the shore of the Red Sea because they were all drowned. Here's this amazing victory. Here's this mountaintop experience where God did something that scientists have tried to understand for thousands of years. And yet the only way to understand it is to know that God did an incredible miracle. But before they could get to the promised land, before they could get back to Canaan, before they could get back to the land of Jacob and Abraham, before they could get back to the place that God had promised them, there was a wilderness in between. There seems to be this pattern with God. Mountain, wilderness, promise. We often think when we get our big victory on the mountain that it's smooth sailing from here. But we might should take a moment and consider that God has a tendency to take you from the mountaintop to the wilderness before you get to the promise. I want to tell you three quick things about the wilderness that you need to know. Number one is this. The wilderness is a a, a place of wandering testing and preparation the wilderness is a place of wandering looking for where you're supposed to go maybe you're not sure maybe you're trying to hear from god it's a place of testing remember when jesus was in the wilderness that's when the enemy came in and he tempted him and he tested him he was testing things in jesus And Jesus needed them to be tested because if He couldn't pass in the wilderness, if He couldn't pass the temptations of Satan there, how would He ever pass the test of the cross? God had to know He was ready. Jesus had to know He was ready. It's a place of preparation because in the testing and in the wandering, it it forces us to rely upon God and prepares us for things that are coming. But in the wilderness, it's often lonely. I want you to know this. At the end of the day, here's what I want you to know. If you were to put our entire sermon in a sentence, it would be this. Knowing who is with you is better than knowing where you are going. If you're wandering and you're struggling and you're, and you're looking for answers and you're trying to decide, what do I do here? Do I quit my job and go back to school so I can make a better life for my family, but in the meantime, I have to take on debt and it's going to be more difficult. What do I do? I've been dating a guy for a long time or I've been dating a girl for a long time. I'm not sure we either need to get married or we need to, we need to break up and I'm not sure what to do. I've been renting for a long time and I really want to own, but I'm not sure if it's God's time and I'm not sure if I'm going to put myself in a bad situation. So what do I do? Do I keep renting or do I buy? How do I follow God? What do I do? It's in those moments where we're questioning and we're wondering and oftentimes we feel alone that knowing who is with us is better than knowing where we are going. It's one of the things that made Abraham's walk so amazing when God said, Leave where you are, I'm going to t- take you to another place. Abraham didn't know where he was going. Abraham didn't know where the land of Canaan was, but he knew who was with him. And he said, I'm going because that's where God is me, leading me. I encourage you today that knowing who is with you is better than knowing where you are going, even when you're a place, in a place of wandering, testing, and preparation. Number two. <clears throat> The wilderness is actually part of God's plan. The enemy can make us feel like we are where we are because we've done something wrong. You've sinned. You've been disobedient. You've made mistakes. You deserve this. You deserve to keep wandering in the wilderness. You don't deserve to live in the promised land. You don't deserve to receive what God has said He was going to do for you. You don't deserve all that, so you just stay where you are. And the enemy wants to convince us that the wilderness is because of mistakes that we've made. But if that were the case, it wouldn't be able to apply to Jesus because, first of all, Jesus never sinned. If Jesus had ever sinned, then he couldn't, die, couldn't have died on the cross for my sin and your sin. So Jesus never sinned, though his wilderness could not have been a result of his sin when he never sinned. Number two, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He led Him there. He was taking Him there. The Holy Spirit was in full control. He came down on Him. He rested upon Him like a dove. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit did was to lead Him into the wilderness. It wasn't because Jesus had problems in His life that no one knew about. It wasn't because Jesus had hidden sin in His life that He hadn't told anyone. No, it was because it was a part of God's plan. Think about it. The Israelites, they've been living in slavery in Egypt. They've been begging God to deliver them. Do you think the first thing that God was going to do as soon as you cross the Red Sea is, I'm going to send you into wilderness because now I'm mad at you and I'm going to punish you for a mistake that you've made? They didn't even have time to make a mistake hardly. They were barely out of the promised land when they ended up in the wilderness. Elijah. Elijah wasn't in the wilderness because he had made mistakes. He wasn't in the, li- in, in the wilderness because of his sin. In fact, he had just been at one of the greatest moments in the history uh, of the Bible when God proved himself how strong and how mighty he was and how much greater he was than all of the other gods. Elijah wasn't in trouble. But the enemy wants to convince us of that. He wants to tell us it's your fault. You did this. You caused it. It's because of sin. It's because you messed up. It's because you don't deserve it. But the wilderness experiences in your life are actually the plan of God. Now I will tell you this. While it may not have been sin that got you there, it could be sin that keeps you there. Jesus only had to be in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. But the Israelites had to wait 40 years. Because when Jesus got to the point of his test, his temptations, he passed. He was obedient to God. He didn't give in. He didn't didn't groan and complain. No, he knew that he was in the will of God. The Israelites, unfortunately, they didn't. They desired other things. We'll talk about that in a moment, but it was their desire of other things that kept them, circling in the wilderness for 40 years and until one entire generation died off and Joshua and Caleb were able to take them into the promised land. So while it isn't our disobedience, our problems, are y'all with me this morning? I feel like y'all are just staring with me, okay. It isn't, it isn't maybe our, 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 the negative things in our life, the mistakes that we have made that got us into the wilderness, but it might be our lack of obedience that keeps us there. I don't mind going through a wilderness. I just don't want to stay there one minute longer than I have to. I don't mind going through difficult times. I'm really not troubled by difficult times. I understand that time and time again, the Bible promises that things will get difficult for us. However, if I don't have to go through it, I don't want to go through it. If I don't have to stay in the wilderness, I don't want to stay in the wilderness. But I've got to know that the wilderness is part of God's plan. And number three is this. The wilderness is an opportunity to experience God. It's an opportunity to experience God. We see over and over and over again that when the people of God are caught up in the wilderness, God never leaves them alone, but He's there with them the entire time. It was in the wilderness that the angels came and they fed Jesus and they ministered to him and they lifted him up. It was in the wilderness with the Israelites that they saw water come out of a rock. Not just a sprinkle, but enough water to, to, uh, to uh, take care of two million people in the desert. It was, it was a river of water that came out of a rock. It was in the wilderness that they saw manna appear on the ground every morning. When they walked out of their tents, there was bread on the ground for them to eat and quail on the ground for them to pick up and eat. It was in the wilderness that God did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. It was was in the wilderness that the angels came down and they allowed Elijah to rest and they fed him. They gave him something to drink. It was, it was in the wilderness that God spoke to him and changed the course of his history. The other thing that the enemy wants to do to us is convince us, first off, that you're here and it's your fault. And what goes along with that is because it's your fault, God doesn't care about where you are, He's not going to help you, He's going to leave you out here on your own. But I want to tell you today that the wilderness wilderness is one of the greatest opportunities you'll ever have in your life to see the miraculous power of God released, even in the simple things, even in the smallest things. It's an opportunity. So how do you view your wilderness? Do you view it as punishment from God? Or do you view it as part of his plan and an opportunity to make himself strong and to make himself known in your life? How do you view your wilderness? they were tested. They they went into the wilderness. God was checking their hearts. He was seeing if they could really trust him, if they they did really trust him, and he was checking their desires. Despite Mount Carmel, Elijah still had to be tested to see because he kind of wanted to be liked by his enemy. He really didn't want Jezebel to be angry with him. He was testing him. Despite the baptism, Jesus, you still had to fight the desire to want things to be your way. We know this because if Jesus couldn't pass those tests, if he couldn't pass the test of being given the kingdom without the cross, how would, we ever pa- how would he ever pass when the cross was in the way? He had to test him. Despite the Red Sea, the, the Israelites still desired Egypt. Here's what's crazy about the Israelites. Despite the slavery that they were in, despite the problems that they were facing, despite the fact that they were literally slaves in bondage to an evil pharaoh, to an evil king, they still desired slavery over what God was doing. Four things they desired. And I want you to write these down and and ask yourself, if I'm in a wilderness... God, check these places of my life. Make sure that I'm not desiring something that's not of you. Number one, we see in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 through 11. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? The first thing that they desired was they desired the safety of Egypt. When they were in Egypt, they were in slavery, but at least Pharaoh wasn't trying to kill them. But when they were out in the wilderness, when they were out on their own following God, suddenly now they lost their safety. They lost the the things that had kept them safe. Even though there were walls that kept them in, there were also walls that kept them safe. The same king, the same Pharaoh that kept them under his thumb also kept people away. They said, listen, why would you bring us out here to die? We were safe in, in Egypt. We knew what to expect and we were safe. When we're following God, and we're in the middle of a wilderness, we have to understand that it can seem dangerous. Suddenly, we give our life to God, and where we weren't fighting battles, we're suddenly fighting battles. We're fighting with lust. We're fighting with the desires of our flesh. Uh, We're we're fighting with, with people in our lives. We're fighting with our spouse, and we don't understand why. We feel like we've lost the safety of where we were. Even though we know we shouldn't have been there, it was safe. We understood it. We knew how it worked. But God never promised that the Christian life would be an easy life. He never promised that it would be a safe life. In fact, He said that the violent take it by force because there is a battle going on. And when we leave the safety of being a slave, we enter into a battle. We look back to Egypt, to captivity our sin, to our old life. Even though we were in slavery, slavery, it seems safer than the wilderness. The second thing we find in in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. There too, the whole community complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. One more time. Why are they always wanting to die? There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Moses, we're hungry. We're starving. My kids are hungry. I'm hungry. And you literally brought us out here, Moses. You let us out here just to starve us to death. What kind of person would do that? You see, the second thing that they were desiring was they desired the supplies of Egypt. When they were in Egypt, even though they were slaves, they knew they were going to have food to eat. They knew they were going to have uh, bread to eat. They knew they were going to have water to drink. But out here in the wilderness, they weren't promised any of that. They were forced to trust in God. They were forced to put their faith in God. And I'm going to tell you, what they realized was, it is much easier to trust in the limited supplies of Egypt that we could see than it was to trust in the unlimited supplies that God had in the wilderness that they couldn't see. So when we're in the wilderness, God is testing us. Would you rather, would you rather have the supplies of this world? Would you rather have the supplies of walking by what you can see? Are Are you willing to walk by faith Believing in what you can't see. Believing that God is going to come through for you. It's much harder to live by faith in wilderness. Trusting that God is going to supply all of our needs. But He promises that He will. He promises that He'll supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Walking with God requires trust and faith. Egypt did not. Someone just provided them a meal. Number three. In Exodus chapter 32 verse 1 through 8. And I'm not going to read it all to you. Um, But uh, Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving the law from God. And while he's there, the people get upset. They start grumbling. They start complaining. And they bring all their gold to Aaron. Aaron takes the gold. He melts it down. He makes it into the form of a calf. And suddenly they begin having this big, huge celebration, this big, huge party. And they start worshiping this golden calf. Why did they do that? They did that because they desired gods like they had in egypt they desired gods and notice there's a little g here because they desired a god that they could see not a god that they couldn't see so what they literally said was we want to fashion a god even if he isn't the real god the true god the living god it doesn't matter to us but we would rather have a god that we can see that is tangible that we can physically touch than a god that we can't see We don't care about the power of the God. We care about can we get our hands on Him. Remember they came from Egypt where the the gods, they built statues and they built uh, pyramids and they built uh, all types of things to honor their gods. It was something that they could see and physically touch. And the Israelites picked up on this. And all of a sudden now they were longing to have a God that they could touch and feel and, and hold on to something physical, something tangible. My question to you is this. If you're caught up in the wilderness today, is God testing you to see if you are desiring Him Or desiring a God like the gods of Egypt? Are we trying to serve money? Are we trying to serve power? Are we trying to serve attention? Are we trying to serve the God of sex? Are we trying to serve the God of possessions? Are we reaching out for things that we can touch and we can grab a hold to and that we can feel? Or are we willing to serve a God that we cannot see? It's easier to worship things we see and touch than things we don't. But that's what requires faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. Number four: I feel like I'm preaching a lot better than you're amening this morning, but that's OK. It might just be me. Um, number four, we find in numbers 21, verse four and five. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. Everybody say the way. "...to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way." Say way. way. "...and the people spoke against God and Moses." And here we go one more time. "...why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread." Now now understand something here. The the worthless bread that they're speaking of is the manna that God was providing from heaven. They had complained that they were hungry. God provides manna from heaven every morning. They walk outside and there's manna laying on the ground. They pick it up and they eat it uh, enough for the day. And yet at this point, they are loathing it. The thing that was a miracle one day, now they're loathing it today. The thing that they were celebrating that God did for them one day, now they're hating it and wishing God had never done it for them. Isn't it amazing how yesterday's miracle can become a problem today? It's just a matter of a change of perspective, but that's okay because God was working things out in them. Notice here that he said the ways of Egypt. The ways of Egypt. They desired the ways. In Egypt, there was a way that things were done. Yes, they were in slavery, but if they knew if I did things this way, if I kept my head down and I did my job, they would provide food for me, they would provide shelter for me, and I could somewhat live my life how I wanted to, but within the context of slavery, so long as I did it the way they wanted me to do. You see, the world has a way. Your old life has a way. Sin has a way. And if we live according to that way, there seems to be some measure of satisfaction in it. Some measure of, well, this is okay, I can handle this. But when we step outside of that way, and we follow the way of Jesus, as a matter of fact, before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way. Meaning, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we follow Jesus' way, if we follow Him out into the wilderness, yes, we're going to be going way, places we don't know and doing things we don't understand. And sometimes, God leads us onto the mountain and sometimes he leads us into the valley of the shadow of death but he's always leading us and guiding us but that way is much more difficult the way of egypt we understood We knew what to do. We knew how to make it work for us. When you were in sin, you knew how to make your life work your way. You knew how to get what you wanted out of it. But the problem with the way of Egypt is it never truly satisfies your soul. And it does not lead to the life that Jesus promised. Only Jesus leads us in the right way. (laughs) Slavery wasn't fun, but it was predictable. Whether you're being led by the still waters today or whether you are being led through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to encourage you, follow Jesus. Why? Because knowing who is with you is better than knowing where you're going. Mary and Joseph, you're going to have a baby. How? I'm but a virgin. And and yet, this is the answer she gets. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit is going to come over, come over you and He's going to empower you. That's not an answer, angel. But somehow, it triggered it, it triggered some faith in a young girl it triggered some hope in a young girl that even when i don't understand what's going on and what's happening even when things are about to get difficult the bible says that joseph hid her why because he knew she was about to be mocked she was about to go through a ridicule she was about to be uh, punished by society and yet she was willing to face the wilderness why because she knew the holy spirit was with her I I know who is with me. I I know that God is with me and I can make it through anything. When Jesus was out on the mountain, He knew He could pass the temptations of Satan not because of His own power, but because the Holy Spirit was with Him. God was with Him. I don't know where you are today, but if you're facing temptations in your life and you're facing struggles in your life, if you're facing difficulties in your life, I want you to know that even in the wilderness, God is with you. When it doesn't make sense to the Israelites, they didn't know where they were going. Here's what God promised them. He said, I am going to give you a cloud by day and a fire by night. I'm going to lead you. You may not know where you're going. All you have to do is be able to follow. Can you follow the fire by night? Can you follow the cloud by day? Can you follow God? It takes faith to step out and walk. It takes faith to make this journey with God, to go through the wilderness. When we're in the wilderness, everything in us says, go back to where we came from. Go back to where we came from. We understood it back there. You've made a mistake. This is your fault. You've done something wrong. And yet, Mary didn't do anything wrong. And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And the Israelites had just got out of slavery. They were just begging God to deliver them. And Elijah hadn't done anything wrong. And neither did you. Don't let the enemy lie to you. But know that God is with you. And He will lead you through. Elijah got to this place in his life. He's out in the wilderness, and he says, I can't take anymore. He just sat down on a tree. He said, I can't do it anymore. I don't know why he got there. I don't know what led up to that. Because when you read Scripture, you think he should still be on a high. But somehow, Elijah got to this place. and, And when this woman said she was going to kill him, it was his tipping point. I can't take anymore. Isn't it funny that we can go through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty and then sometimes we get to this place where it's something little. It's something small but it's our tipping point and we throw up our hands and we say I can't do anymore. I can't take anymore. I, 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 I was doing good but then my friend betrayed me and it shouldn't have been a big deal but it was. I was doing good, but I hate my job so much, I don't know what to do, I can't take it anymore. I was doing good, but my teenagers are driving me crazy. I was doing good, but the financial pressure in my life is now more than I can take. Everything is going our way, but then we get to a tipping point, we just can't do anymore. What did Elijah do? The first thing is, the angels allowed him to rest. He took a nap. Number two is, they fed him. He ate. And number three, he got into the presence of the Lord. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it was in that gentle whisper that God changed everything for Elijah. He gave him future. He gave him direction. He gave him the answer that he would seek him. He gave him 7,000 friends when he thought he was all alone. He gave him the strength of a church to stand all around him. But he was in the whisper you know that God whispers because he's already so close to you he doesn't need to shout have you ever had someone come right up to you right in your ear and yell really loudly you just want to throat punch them And you look at them and you say, why did you do that? I am right here. We wonder why God whispers. Because God is not in heaven having to shout down at us. No, He's right next to you. He's just saying, can you listen? I just want to whisper. I've been right here with you all along. I've been right beside you. You thought you were going through the wilderness by yourself, but I was actually leading you all along the way. I'm just going to whisper to you now. He whispers because God, though He loves uh, the Big Bang, He has a flair for the dramatic. God often does the miracle in the mundane. He does the miraculous in the simple. He, he, He sent a Savior and He was born in a manger. He rescued Elijah with some bread and a nap. God has a way of doing the miraculous in the simple mundane things of our life and we're so busy looking for him to split the skies and send fire out of heaven and he's like man I've been trying to do miracles all along in your life would you just know that I'm right here in the wilderness with you you needed water so I provided water from a rock you needed bread so I just put it on the ground for you you just stumbled outside of your tent in a, in a, in a, in a stupor from you stayed up too, night, like, too late the night before and you're a little groggy in the morning. And you're not a morning person and, he, and you just scooped up some bread and you, you thought that it just happened to be there, but it was me all along. How many times in your life has God been there to help you through? And we didn't even know it to give Him credit. But God often does miracles in the mundane. He's involved in your life and he wants to whisper to you. What's he doing in the wilderness? He's preparing you for your promise. Mountain, wilderness, promise. He wants to give you future. He wants to give you next steps. He wants to give you the life that he promised you. He, he wanted Jesus to begin his ministry. He had plans for him. Are you needing direction? Are you being tested in the wilderness? I want you to know this is right when God steps in. you're in the wilderness today, God is with you. Even if you don't know where you're going, even if you're begging God for answers and direction, strength or comfort, even if you're in desperate need of a miracle, I want you to know God is with you. Can you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Holy Spirit, I feel your presence here right now. I know that there are people in this room that are in a wilderness and we've hit this tipping point God where we are just sitting down under the tree like Elijah saying we can't take any more I made it through this and I made it through that and I did this and I got through that but I can't take any more I'm done God would you hear our prayers would you hear our cries and would you show up today May we feel you. May we know that you are with us. Lord, I pray that we would make it through every test, every temptation. Lord, because I know that even when we're in the wilderness, you are with us and you are preparing us for life and the promise that you've already spoken to us. You're going to do what you said you would do. You're going you're to answer the prayers you said you would answer. You're going to give us the hope you said you would give us. You're going to give us the life you promised for us. But Lord, we're following you are following in your way. Lord, I pray right now for those that are seeking answers, I pray that you would speak clearly, that we would be able to hear through the noise of our lives. Lord, we're not looking for a fire or an earthquake or a wind, but we're listening for a whisper, for we know that you are near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.